Great to be back. Uh, great to be with you. Isn't it encouraging when God speaks through our meeting, through you, through others in the church, when we sing ancient hymns, when we sing modern songs, when we give God glory, and suddenly His Spirit just breaks over a place and starts to stir a one here, a one there, and then a word about this conviction that's going to fall upon you, and it does, and you, uh, and you respond to it. So well done, everybody. Praise God that you heard from Him and you responded to Him, and uh, we can have those moments together. Um, I just wanted to say praise God for that, and well done. Let's keep doing that. If you've never brought one of those contributions before, then perhaps 2024 is your year. Perhaps this is the time where you get that verse in the week and you come up and you bring it on a Sunday uh, and we will uh, applaud God and encourage you in doing that. So there we go. Two things, uh, sorry, one thing for me. One's a thank you. Second uh, thing is a encouragement and the third thing's an encouragement and then we'll get into the prayer series again. So first thing, a huge thank you to everyone who gave into our winter offering. We raised 9,635 pounds. That's fantastic. And we're going to give a chunk of that away to the guys in Zimbabwe and Harare, River of Life Church. They're going to uh, use it over there in Newground, our wider family of churches. They too will use another chunk and they will expand the kingdom, raise leaders, plant churches, just like the guys in Zim. And that's our, our gift to them. That's what we're going to do with it. We're going to give it away. So praise God. Let's pray it gets used, multiplied, blessed as it goes. Okay, two quick encouragements. I just want to say, well done, church family. The carol service was fantastic. We packed the place out. We spent a whole term witnessing, talking about what we'd seen and heard God do and inviting people to that event. And it just went really well. And it was a really great day. Thanks for filling in those feedback cards as well. 14 people, I think, responded, some of whom were children uh, to the Bethlehem prayer, the response to Jesus prayer. So praise God. That's fantastic. And uh, I also want to say I'm encouraged by the week of prayer for Christian unity. We got together with other Christians from around uh, the locality and we prayed. We, in fact, got the opportunity to lay hands on some brothers and sisters from other churches and encourage them and build them up. And likewise, we're encouraged by them praying and drawing our attention to what they've been doing in the kingdom in the area. So I'm encouraged by that as well. And that leads us nicely into week three of our prayer series. Week one was Dale talking about why pray. All the foundations you need for a prayer life. He talked about having an ordinary prayer life. He talked about adding an extra hour, which made it extra ordinary because you added something to the ordinary. He uh, went on all about the Lord's Prayer and how that structure is so useful. And then we had Rachel, the secret place of prayer last week. If you haven't heard either of these, listen again online. You can pick up what they were saying. But with uh, enthusiasm and great stories, we were encouraged to seek God again in the secret place, to come to him afresh in prayer and rejig, re-resurrect, uh, if you like, our prayer lives with him and seek intimacy with him. And so they're the two we've had so far. And you might well be wondering, so why? Why are we doing a series on prayer? Well, I just want to remind you of why we are doing this. We believe in the power of prayer. Martin's testimony supported the power of prayer. We believe our God is a relational God. He wants to spend time with you and with me. Isn't that amazing? He wants to spend time with us. We believe he's willing and able to answer our prayer in all his power and glory. We believe he is sovereign. He holds the future. I love that from James, that contribution. We don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. So we can be secure in believing he has everything under control. And so we're preaching and teaching into this because we want to fuel prayer 
in this church family. From the youngest to the oldest, we want everybody to learn that prayer is a conversation with a loving Father in heaven, and we want everyone to participate in that relationship day in, day out. And lastly, we're building up to a week of prayer. Like a wave building up in the deep sea, coming to crash on the shore, we're building towards this week of prayer. And so we're preaching and teaching over four Sundays into this. And so today we're into part three, and we're going to look at some potential obstacles to a good, healthy, vibrant prayer life, relationship and prayer with God. And this reminded me of one thing and one thing only, and that is the TV show recently remade called Gladiators. Who remembers Gladiators from the 90s? Me. Who's watched it lately? Ruben, you watched it. Yes, you did. He did. He did. Well, in case you don't know what Gladiators is, uh, it is basically bodybuilders versus relatively fit average Joes, and uh, they compete in physical events uh, throughout the show, and one of those events is called the Gauntlet, and it's basically where uh, a massive bodybuilder gets two pillows and stands in the way of someone, and the contender has to run through the gauntlet and push them out of the way and try and get around them and dodge it and barge through. And so... um, I've made the mistake already as a parent of letting my children watch this show <laughs> and with me because I wanted to watch it. And now they stand on their bed with two pillows and try and batter each other. So I, I've already made that error. Um, but uh, in a manner of speaking, what we're going to do this morning is run the prayer gauntlet. We're going to push past some of these obstacles to a healthy, vibrant prayer life because we really need to. We really need to remove everything that might hinder a life of prayer and relationship with God. And so we need to know what we're up against. The first one is this. One of the obstacles can be hurt that's caused by unanswered prayer. Answered prayer is a great motivator. But if your prayers go unanswered, you are not motivated to pray Often, And if you've been a Christ follower for any amount of time, you will know what this feels like to have an unanswered prayer because you don't forget them. That's the other thing, isn't it? They are both a mystery to us, but they also cause agony often. We've all got people on a post-it folded up eight times in our Bible who we've been praying for to be saved for years. We've got other people who are on another post-it at the back of the Bible, not because they're any less, but because we're praying for them to be healed. And it's still a time of waiting and pursuing God for that. And if we're honest, sometimes the agony can outweigh the mystery. Sometimes you get fed up of going, oh, wow, I just don't know why. You just get pain and you feel it keenly when you head back uh, to your prayer room or wherever you meet with God. And that's because God doesn't give us the answer straight away, always. And he doesn't always give us the answer we want. And in the book uh, by Bill Hybels, Rachel referenced it last week, Too Busy Not to Pray is the title. He mentions a little ditty which he uses to share with people who are struggling with this and and try and help them work through some of the difficulty that comes from this hurt. It goes like this. It says, if the request is wrong, God says no. If the timing is wrong, God says slow. If you are wrong, God says grow. But if the request is right, the timing is right, and you are right, God says go. So we're going to use this as our structure today. And we're going to start with this one. If the request is wrong, God says no. 
So we're going to start with some inappropriate requests. And it's comforting to know that actually we're all capable of this. It's not just some people who ask God inappropriate requests. I know I certainly have. And, uh, and we're going to look at some people that were really close to Jesus. Even they, having spent so many hours with him, still asked inappropriate requests. And we're going to look at this first one on the Mount of Transfiguration. We're in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew. It's a biography of Jesus. If you're new to us, you're new to the Bible. Four Gospels all about Jesus, all tell his story from different perspectives. And this is Matthew, and he writes this in Matthew 17, 1 to 8. He says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured by them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before then Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And when he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. I don't think he sounds like me, by the way. just want to clarify that. But... That's what he said. And when the disciples heard it, they fell face down on the ground, terrified, because you would be. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. Did you spot the inappropriate request? (laughs) Imagine you probably did, because in short, Peter's plans don't match up with the Lord's plans. And understandably, they're having a mountaintop moment, quite literally, with Jesus, a moment of individual time with him and uh, Moses and Elijah. And, and, And what bypasses Peter's brain in this moment is the fact that there are still lots of other people down on the plains who need to encounter Jesus. Jesus has come to seek and save the lost sinners and yet he's forgotten that for a moment and never has a request so being quickly so sorry being so quickly and divinely shut down as this request from Peter he interrupts him and says no we're not going to do that we've got other things to do so that's one example another example is in mark 10:35 to 40 It's James and John, particularly this time, um, disciples of Jesus once again. They say, can we sit either side of you, Jesus, in glory, presuming that they're both worthy of these places and that they're not already taken or reserved? Uh, They they say, we we really want to do that. We think we could do that. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. If you watch the FA Cup this weekend, you've heard people going, you don't know what you're doing. Well, it was like a moment like that for them. They just didn't know what they were doing. They thought they knew. They thought they understood. But Jesus says very quickly, you don't, you don't know the connotations. You don't know the impact of this. And yet they asked an inappropriate request. But thankfully, Jesus said, no. Once again, last example, these two, James and John, bit of a pickle, really, these two, when they put them together, put their foot in it uh, as uh, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. His face is set like flint. He's going to the cross, the most significant symbol within our faith. And on the way, there's a Samaritan village. And Jesus says, go, go and ask them if we can stay there. They ask, the Samaritans say, no, he he can't come here. And uh, these zealous disciples think they're making the right call when they say to Jesus, so Lord, uh, they said, no, Um, shall we call down fire from heaven and destroy them? Uh, And uh, and what's worrying is that it actually sound like they could do it. (laughs) That's one thing. The other thing is that they actually sound like they think it's the right thing to do, which having spent a lot of time with Jesus, the most loving, compassionate, gentle, firm, stern, strong, tender, but tough 
man ever made, they still think destroying people is the right thing to do. Whereas Jesus understandably says no. And they get a pretty firm rebuke for that as well, which I think you can understand. It's an inappropriate request. Now, all of these requests I've mentioned are self-serving, materialistic, and somewhat short-sighted, are they not? They're not looking at the long-term game. And so if the request is wrong, God says no. And we can praise him for that. Can you imagine if God said yes to all of our requests, appropriate and inappropriate? Well, if you can't imagine, you need to go back 20 years in time and watch a film called Bruce Almighty, or find it on Netflix. Um, it's terrifying when you look up a film you watched and you think, 20 years ago? Really? Oh my goodness. But Bruce Almighty, Bruce gets the job of God for the week, uh, he receives all his divine powers, and he gets all these prayers coming in, millions of prayers from the locality. And so rather than putting them on post-its, he decides, I'm going to put these into an email inbox. And he does that with his divine power. And he's got millions of emails, and he quickly finds the button, which is yes to all, and replies to them all, yeah. And what happens? Well, you might remember the film, Chaos Ensues. Everybody wins the lottery. So they all win $17 each, which no one is happy with. People get taller, stocks triple, jobs get achieved, apartments get found, but no one is happy and rioting happens in the film. And I thought that was a pretty insightful moment for a pretty strong uh, high-end film that they picked out. But if God said yes to all our prayers, it wouldn't be good news. And Reality is, if you don't believe in God's omnipotence, which is his all-powerfulness, and his omniscience, his all-knowingness, if you don't believe that he is indeed in control, then actually prayer is eroded pretty quickly. You see, he doesn't press yes to all. He's too loving for that. He's too loving a father to say yes to all our requests. He loves us so much. He doesn't just listen to our words and take us at face value, who actually looks into your heart, which I understand if you're not a Christian here today, if you haven't followed Jesus, that can sound pretty terrifying because you know what's in there, or at least you know some of it. But he knows all of it. You see, prayer, when we speak with him, it's not a superficial act. It's not a religious thing that we do again and again and again. It's more of a heart-to-heart with God. But where God's heart is pure on his side of the conversation, ours is indeed corrupt Jeremiah, um, a book from the Old Testament, a prophet, in chapter 17, verse 9, he kind of sums it up. He says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Oh, who could understand it? Well, only God. You say, we'd never approach God intentionally, I don't think, with a wrong request, would we? But it can happen, and it can happen quite easily. For example, you might well pray something quite casual like, Lord, please change my supervisor's attitude towards me. You might pray, Lord, please don't let my teacher speak to me. Please don't let her pull me up the front. You might pray something else perhaps more specific in a Christian context like, Lord, please, I find it really difficult to pray with that person. Please get them to pray with someone else. (laughs) The people that are laughing have prayed that prayer. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. But we often pray, don't we? We often do. We pray for God to change people, and it's not always a bad thing. Sometimes we pray for people to be changed and transformed by the gospel and and renewed and made into a new creation like we know God can do when the truth is revealed. 
but we also pray for those that we truly love and have genuine concern for their well-being. So it is okay to pray for people to change, but you can see the difference in those two examples, I think, um, where you're praying for someone to change for, for our good, for my good, and you're praying for someone to change for God's glory and their good. There's a difference there, and, and out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our heart motive will determine how we pray and how we frame the request. And so sometimes God will say no, and sometimes he'll say no, even when our requests are appropriate, even when our requests are genuine and good and, and wholehearted, and he'll still say no. And that can cause hurt as well, can't it? I have experience of this. My grandparents uh, both sadly died during our engagement period, and I prayed earnestly, fervently for a long time that they would live, uh, both of them, to see the day that we got married. And God said, no. And the reality is that was painful. It caused me hurt, and I, I didn't enjoy it. I grieved for them, and after some time processing, I had to bring that back to God. I had to bring it to him and say, look, you said no. And I didn't like that. I even had to preach, and not had to, I, I even preached on Lazarus's story. And I think some of you will remember, I just burst into tears halfway through because I was talking about when God said no to his disciples. But I had to go from that place of hurt and pain and choose to put my faith and trust in God my Father once again. And it wasn't just a trust in his answer to the prayer. It was the trust in his timing as well, his perfect timing, which leads us quite nicely into the second part of our ditty today. When the timing's wrong, God says, slow. Now, the answer not yet to our prayers can be almost as annoying and frustrating as the no. And I've even had experience of this today when at 5 to 11, my boys both said, we want to eat our lunch. And I said, no, you can't, not yet. You have to wait. I didn't understand. I was trying to encourage them. It's okay. Waiting is good. Waiting is okay. But you don't need me to tell you how conditioned we are to getting what we want as soon as we can get it. In the instant culture that we live in, the pain of waiting looms large. It feels awful. And you don't need to tell me, uh, are you sorry, you don't need me to tell you that when I was a youngster five years ago, um, <laughs> you could say something like, I can get this at the push of a button. Well, now you don't even have to push a button. Alexa, what's the weather doing? I don't even have to move and I get it instantly, a weather report. But here's a, a little bit more of a, a specific example for how frustrated uh, I think generations like mine and the ones below can get with waiting. It can even make you feel angry when you message someone on WhatsApp with a specific request and you've sent it and the one tick comes up and it's delivered and the second tick comes and oh, they're online and their blue ticks come up and then oh, they're typing, they're gonna reply straight away. And then they stop typing <laughs> and then they're not online. And then you're waiting, and you're like, okay, come on. Come on. And then three days later, they send you a thumbs-up emoji. <laughs> Why? Why would you do that to me? Don't you value me at all? I, unbelievable. <laughs> and, and we've all been that person who sent the request, and we've all been that person who forgot to reply because I had to rush off and help a kid or... You know, it really was time to get off, off the loo and go. So, you know, <laughs> I, you've, I know you've all done it, right? Like, no, probably just me then. Sorry, yeah. But, like, the idea being we don't like waiting. 
We've all experienced something of that. But the good news is this. God doesn't delay for no good reason. We might not know the reasons why people delay in their response, but God doesn't delay for no good reason. He's a loving father, and he knows that giving his children a yes to a request in an untimely way would actually be bad for them. It wouldn't bless them. And in that space in between, he does expect us to trust him again. It's that challenge again to trust him. He may even send someone along to comfort us and remind us that we can trust him. Now, something that I find really helpful with this whenever I am frustrated in this way uh, is an excellent quote on the subject from a man called Tim Keller. He's the late, great Tim Keller, excellent theologian. And you've got to read it slow, so I'm going to read it slow. He says, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Just going to read it again. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. And I find that helpful and comforting every time I read it, and I hope you do as well, because it comes with an invitation to praise him for who he is in his sovereignty and all-knowingness, but it also comes with a challenge to believe that he knows exactly what he's doing, even in the waiting, even when you don't understand. He doesn't waste the wait. The not yet is a prompt, in a way, to use the time. And sometimes he'll use it uh, in a certain delicate way. Perhaps he'll give you time before he answers, because he actually wants you to modify your request. Or perhaps he'll give you some time uh, in order to develop your character. And it's not always nice. It's not always easy. Developing patience or endurance or humility or submission or any other characteristic that is like Jesus actually takes time, but actually can be painful. And this was certainly my experience with Sophie last year when she was pregnant. She was very ill, and I had everything to do, fully, fully stretched physically, mentally, emotionally at that time. And I prayed and prayed and prayed, God, heal her, fix things, make it better, take away the sickness, etc. And it revealed some stuff in me that really wasn't great. Like, I got quite angry at times when I was so tired, fed up, despondent. But do you know what? It drove me back to prayer. And it drove me back to dependence on God. I even remember thinking, God, I just don't think I would have asked for this, even if I knew everything you knew. But he knew better than that, right? So when I look back now, I realize, ah, it drove me to dependence. It drove me to prayer. He used the time, and eventually Sophie did get better. (laughs) Things did get better, praise God, in that circumstance. But it reminded me of a verse from uh, Hebrews 12, 11, which is this, um, in the context of Uh, the writer speaking about training, parents training their children and God training us. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so in the wait, we're being trained, but we don't necessarily enjoy it. It can be painful, but it will yield peaceful fruit of righteousness for us, just like it does with children, if you train them in the way they should go. When they're old, they won't depart from it. So that's the second part of the ditty. Sometimes God's answer is not yet, and we're coming towards the end now. The final part, before the kind of go bit, is when you are wrong, God says, grow. Now, if you imagine you've been going through the gladiator gauntlet, like I do, obviously, because I'm like strong enough, 
whatever. Uh, and I actually dreamed of doing it as a kid, and now I'm in my 30s, I'm like, there's no way I'm doing that. Uh, but anyway, you're running, you've, you've hit the first gladiator out of the way. The second one was a bit more tricky. The third one, you just breezed because it was a wolf, and yeah, you could just beat him. And the last one just is the biggest, meanest, hardest one to push past. And the fact of the matter is, in this context, in prayer obstacles, it's like looking into a mirror. Because the biggest obstacle can be beating yourself. <laughs> Getting past yourself in order to have a vibrant and healthy prayer life. And so our loving Father wants to help us flourish and grow. He wants us to overcome the last obstacle. But it's probably the most painful and difficult one to acknowledge and deal with. Because we have to accept that we could be wrong. And that is hard. So here's three quick things that could be wrong. We could be in this position. The first one is prayerlessness, a really simple one. Have we gotten caught up in seeking every other solution apart from prayer? I have. In my time, I know I have been around the houses, around the loop, trying to uh, re renew my membership to the When All Else Fails, Let's Pray club, uh, because I've done it time and time again. Rather than falling at my father's feet and asking him and talking to him, being swept up by him in that childlike way, I've done the childish thing where I've gone, I can do everything without you, and I will. And then I realize I can't. And then I have to come to him again and say, I'm so sorry. I realized I didn't even start with praying. It's easy to fall into its self-sufficiency in its purest form, trying to do everything and not going to prayer as our first port of call. And so that's the first one. Could it be that? that is preventing us? Could it be that, that we need to grow in? Secondly, uh, could it be sin in our lives? Our prayer life is so hindered when we let sin in. Sin is anything that offends God or, or hurts other people, offends other people. It's contaminative. It, it gets in amongst our lives so quickly and so subtly as well. And anyone ever had that experience where you put the wrong fuel in your car? Yeah, you put the wrong fuel in your car, and it messes up the engine. Well, sin is like putting the wrong fuel in your car. It messes you up. It takes your perspective and takes it from being an eternal perspective to a temporal one. It takes your view of other people being from generally trusting to generally distrusting. And it takes your understanding of hope and God's control and twists it and makes it into cynicism. That's some of the things that sin can do. It can hurt you. It can harm other people. And the fact of the matter is, with your engine, if you put a little bit of bad fuel in over time, you'd still damage the engine. And so what we mustn't do is belittle sin, or indulge it, or give it another name, or pretend it's not really there. If you know there is sin in your life, if you, for example, are caught up in gossip at work, or if you're uh, heavily into one particular habit, if you're looking at the wrong things online, you've got to put that to death. You cannot let it linger. You cannot let it control you. You cannot let it ruin your relationship with the almighty, loving Father God. You have to put sin to death. But the good news is, you do not have to do it alone. You have brothers and sisters all around you who will listen to you, who will hear you out. And the, the most powerful thing you can do is confess that sin and say, look, I'm, can I just have a word? Like, I'm really struggling with this particular issue in my life, this particular problem. And they will put their arm around you, and they will listen to you, and they will pray for you. And if, if you're really looking to help someone with this, you'll keep them accountable in the most gentle but loving way. You'll check in week to week, day to day, and help them dig out sin in their life. And the problem with unconfessed sin is it like doubles down on sin that, goes, that is confessed. So if you need to confess it again, 
then keep doing that. Don't let it linger. Be diligent. Let's work hard for each other in this as much as for ourselves. So that's the second one. The third one, and we're just drawing in to a close now, is, again, a very sensitive one. It's unresolved relational conflict. And this could be with a family member, a friend, uh, someone at work. It just could be something there. And uh, I haven't got much time. And, uh, in fact, we could do a whole sermon just on this part of the ditty. But just as a reference point, in Matthew 5, 23 to 24, there's this instruction. Jesus. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a principle and it runs deep through scripture. We have to mimic the ministry of Christ. We've got to go after reconciliation, not shy away from it, not be passive. That's one of the spirits of the age that gets my goat is passivity. Oh, just make, I'm cross even thinking about it. But the, the point is, it, you just let it slide. Actually, I fight myself in it all the time. Mustn't, we mustn't let it slide. But the principle of going to find that brother or sister, be reconciled, is so significant, so important. And God is committed to building a loving church family, and he urges us not to hinder our own prayer life through our own perhaps stubbornness, perhaps our own shyness, whatever it might be, he says, no, come on, go and reconcile them, then come before me. It will change your intimacy with your Father God. And out of your intimacy with your Father God comes all your other intimacy with other people. So put it another way, through your relationship with God, if that is good, if that is sustained, if that is healthy, it will overflow like a fountain into all your other relationships. It will change your demeanor. It will change your perspective. Your perspective will return to being eternal. Your hope will be restored. Your soul will sing like we sung earlier on. And I get it. It takes courage. It's not easy. It's uh, like my friend Tim used to say, it's, uh, our friend Tim used to say, it's a grasp the nettle moment. You know if you grasp a nettle, it's going to sting. It's a grasp the nettle moment for us. But God is in it with us. When we are wrong, God says grow. And let me just say this as one final thing. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. It's okay to be wrong. Being wrong is not fatal. Being wrong doesn't cast you out of any particular space. In fact, it's the opposite that's true. Being wrong and being able to say, look, I got that wrong. It's the key lesson I'm teaching my children at the moment. It's okay to say, I got it wrong. I much prefer you did that than anything else from a father's perspective. Acknowledging that before God and before man helps us grow. It's uncomfortable, but it's important. And so we've come to the end of our little prayer gauntlet ditty, probably a little bit battered and bruised, possibly by some of the things that I might have said. And the reality is um, this, that when you come to a point where you've, you've been driven to Scripture, but you've let the Spirit rest on you, it's, it's not hugely important what I say. The really important thing is, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you about this? I'm not going to pry. I'm not going to come and ask all of you, what did God say to you about this? But in that time, in a a moment here, we're just going to spend a bit of time asking God, what are you saying to me? Or what do you want to say to me about this? And so Hannah, if you don't mind, um, Hannah's going to play an appropriate song called Good, Good Father. And I'm going to ask her just not to sing it. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to... 
to do this, uh, ask God, what are you saying to me? And then parents, I know we've got all our children here with us. We love them and so on. This is a really good opportunity to say to them, hey, son, daughter, why don't you say, ask God, what is he saying to you? Because we believe God can speak to any one of us from the youngest to the oldest. And so another opportunity arises where we can point them back to God. So I just encourage you to do that. Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for the opportunity to pray, the opportunity to rely on your spirit, to convict us gently, firmly. At the same time, we just thank you that we actually get the opportunity to to come before you with this stuff, to come before you with our hearts again and say, Lord, look in, search me, O God, and know my thoughts, know my deepest thoughts in my heart. Reveal any way that's not good in me and help me come to a point of repentance and faith. Help me come to a point where I, want, I can make a righteous response, whether that's meeting someone to reconcile, asking God to heal me of the hurt or choosing to trust you again or anything else from this morning you want to say to me, Lord. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hannah, if you don't mind praying, I know the kids will still be around, but let's just sit for a minute and see what God says.